a little over two years ago when our families first moved into Incarnation's rectory and started exploring the neighborhood. One of the first things that I noticed was the signs. Black and white yard signs with inspirational quotes about justice and social change. And you may have seen them too because they're all over Sonoma County, but especially thick in my neighborhood near the junior college. And eventually I learned that that's because the project started there with four neighbors on Benton Street. It was not long after the 2016 election and these neighbors got together and formed this project, which they called the Benton Street Improvement Association. And they would sell these yard signs for $10 with the proceeds going to charity. And the project ended last year, so you can't get a new sign anymore, but they're still everywhere. Quotes from Martin Luther King, from Cesar Chavez, from the Dalai Lama. And there's one that I run past all the time with a famous quote attributed to the poet Maya Angelou which is, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. It's a deceptively simple statement. After all, how could we do better than we know how? But there's a lot to unpack there. There's a kind of realism and a kind of grace about human limitations. Do the best you can until you know better. And so Maya Angelou doesn't get us off the hook for learning, for growing, for doing better. Not just knowing better, but also doing better. And in today's gospel reading, we have, I think, one of the most remarkable stories in the New Testament. Because I think it shows Jesus, our Savior, the eternal Word of God made flesh, learning better and doing better. I should say that, like most scripture stories, there's more than one way to read this one. And it's possible to interpret this story in other ways, perhaps ways that get Jesus off the hook. Maybe he knows all along what he is going to do. And maybe in saying no to this Canaanite woman at first, he's testing her or testing the disciples, but knows all along what he plans to do in the end. Those readings exist, but today I want to suggest we stay with what I think is a simpler interpretation, which is that here we see Jesus in his full humanity, coming into an encounter with someone outside his own people and coming into that encounter with the attitudes and the understandings that he has absorbed since childhood from those around him. In other words, with prejudices, with pre-existing notions, with biases. And wonder of wonders, he comes into this encounter and it's Jesus that we see transformed. He initially refuses to heal this woman's daughter because she is a Gentile, a Canaanite. Two years ago, I preached on the version of this story that is told in the Gospel of Mark, which is a little different. And in Mark's Gospel, Mark calls her a Greek and a Syrophoenician, which would have meant that she was part of the peoples of that area, just outside of Galilee, outside the land of Israel. And she spoke Greek as her native language. But Matthew, 
the author of this gospel reaches back into Old Testament history for another term, to use a classic word for the foreigners who were enemies of Israel, Canaanites. And Jesus says he understands his mission as restricted only to the people of Israel. But he does more than that. He even seems to insult this woman. He seems to use what's essentially a kind of racial slur by calling her a dog. Unthinking, perhaps, but hurtful in its impact, no doubt. And this woman does something amazing. She calls him on it. She comes to him strategically, cleverly. She calls him by a Jewish title, son of David. And she comes to him cleverly. She uses wit. She turns his own comment about dogs back on him. And somehow in this encounter, he recognizes something. Perhaps it's the full humanity of this woman who like him is a child of God although of another nation. She essentially tells him that Canaanite lives matter. And Jesus is startled in his full humanity into learning and growing and into a change of heart, a moment of conversion, a conversion not away from the ancestral faith of Israel, but a conversion deeper into it. Because there are strands all through the Hebrew scriptures of this message that the covenant that God has made with Israel, with the chosen people, is intended not just to bless that people, but to move outward to all the peoples of the earth. We heard it in Isaiah this morning as God talks about the foreigners who will be joined to the covenant. And in our epistle reading this morning, Paul also grapples with this notion that the chosen people, his people, the people of Israel, have been called once and forever by God. And even as he grapples with his frustration and his confusion that most of them have not turned to the Jesus movement, most of them have not followed Jesus as Messiah. He wrestles with that, and he comes in the end to the conclusion that God's relationship with Israel is once and for all and forever, that they are God's special people, and that through them, that blessing is to extend to all nations. And so here in this moment, in the region of Tyre and Sidon, we see a kind of nucleus, a kind of beginning of that moment where the gospel begins to spread more and more widely, widening the circle. Now, as Christians, we proclaim that Jesus lived in every way as one of us, yet without sin. And I think that we can still read this passage this way and affirm that. I think I would say that it wasn't a sin in and of itself for Jesus to grow up with the attitudes around him. It was his humanity. But it would have been sin if he had failed to confront those attitudes in himself. It would have been sin if he had turned away from this woman. It would have been a betrayal of his call, of his destiny, of his identity. If he had chosen not to learn better. Or, once he knew better, if he'd chosen not to do better. And you know, this woman, she is participating in another long tradition from the Hebrew scriptures. She's participating in the long tradition of human beings being able to change God's mind, being able to make God, coax God to be more merciful, more gracious, 
or if you will, getting God to act more like God. Maybe you know the story in the book of Genesis where Abraham bargains with God not to destroy a wicked city. If there are, let's say, as many as 50 good people there. And then when God says, yes, he comes back, what about 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? And following in Abraham's footsteps, Moses in the book of Exodus, where God's people have made an idol to worship and God up on the mountain of Sinai says to Moses, essentially, I'm fed up. I'm going to destroy this people. And out of you and your descendants, I'll make a new chosen people. And Moses says, essentially, God, how embarrassing for you if the other nations find out that you gave up on your own people. And God, of course, relents and forgives them. These amazing stories of human beings coaxing God to be more like God. And I think the point of these stories is not actually that God intended to be vengeful and vindictive and capricious until human beings came along to change God's mind. But I think there is a point in these stories about God loving and respecting us as human beings, individual human beings, so much as to take us seriously and to let us as individual human beings be part of the conversation, part of the story, even so far as part of, in some mysterious, paradoxical way, coaxing God to be truly God. So here in this passage today, even though Jesus is the Savior, even though he's the healer, and even though he's the Lord, and even though he is the hero of all the stories almost all the time, I think maybe in this story, he's not the hero. Today, the star of the story is this Canaanite woman who is determined and strategic and who, like a new Abraham or a new Moses, just won't take no for an answer. She persists. And through the sheer moral power of her case and her persistence, she gets what she seeks. I wonder where you see yourself in this story today. Maybe you're Jesus. Maybe you are a white American being confronted with your need to know better and do better about race and racism. Or a man or a straight person being confronted with your need to know better and do better about gender and sexuality. And you know, there are opportunities to know better all around us. Some of us at Incarnation this summer have been participating in anti-racism groups through Sonoma's interfaith, Sonoma County's interfaith community or through our diocese, which is launching sacred ground education groups that have actually been swamped and aren't accepting new registrations. But we'll get that sorted. There are opportunities everywhere to let ourselves be transformed. And that transformation is for our own freedom and flourishing as well as for our neighbors. Or we can hide from that confrontation. Or maybe where you hear yourself in this story today is as the Canaanite woman. Maybe you are stepping up to seek healing and to seek justice for yourself or for people you love. Maybe you need healing and you're not gonna wait for it any longer. Maybe God's spirit is surging through you 
to give you courage to persist and words to speak. Maybe you're the one. Maybe you are one of the individuals that God will work through today or this year to change the course of history, to transform minds and hearts and institutions. Maybe you've been both Jesus and the Canaanite woman at points throughout your life, and you will be again. Wherever you are in this story, God was working on that day, and God's working today to widen the circle, to spread the blessing so that none of God's beloved ones will ever be outcast again. God is working all around us. May God continue that work today in each of us, through each of us.